That's how this works. Okay, I'm good with I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So who I am and how I help people. My name is Myron Golden. Um, I teach business like exponential business growth from a biblical perspective. I teach authors, coaches, speakers, agency owners, and other high-level entrepreneurs how to create, convey, and convert premium value offers faster than any coach in the universe. In fact, while other coaches are trying to help their students have uh, six and seven-figure years, we're actually helping our clients have six and seven-figure days. And um, that's who I, that's what, who I am, what I do, and what I'm known for. And um, so if you're ready to take your life and your business to the next level, um, there's no doubt, and you already have a business, but you're stuck at like 20000 a month, 50000 a month, 100000 a month, or a quarter of a million a month, uh, we're definitely the ones who can help you take your business to the next level. I'm talking about 10, 12, 20x. You know, Myron, so. you mentioned that. And so in the beginning, right, when somebody hears that, I'm going to yeah. say the things that somebody is thinking when they first hear that. They're 100%. Like, they're like, no. Nah. Okay. So you're going to really help me go from where I am now to 10 X in my, my, my revenue, my business and my clients. Like, come on, Myron, like, seriously, what's, what's all that about? Like, really, what, what what, what are you saying? A couple of things. Number one, people who are making 10 times more money than you, let's, let's not even call it 10 times. Let's say a hundred times people who are making a hundred times more money than you. I promise you they're not a hundred times smarter than you. I promise you they're not working a hundred times harder than you. And I promise you they're not working a hundred times more hours. So how is, how is anybody in this world making a hundred times more money than you're making? The answer is simple. They know something that works a hundred times better than what you know works. If you learn those things and apply them to your life and business, you have to get the same result. So we, we did, we had a coaching call this morning. Um, these two young dudes that are in the coaching program, Josh and Wasi, they were on, they found out about me last May, their business in the month of May, 2021 did $10,000 in revenue. Just this past weekend, they had a $1.6 million day. Here's what that means. And everybody's not going to have, everybody's not going to multiply their revenue by a hundred X or 160 X. But what happened was their business, their business went from um, 10,000 a month and so they 160x their monthly revenue in one day a year later. Why? Because I know something that works 160 times better than what they used to know works. Man, okay, so you starting already and you know, I, I sometimes I have to tell you to stop talking, but we're going to keep talking for this interview. So so I want to I want to I want to dig in on that because you know some I have seen, and this is this has been for me too. So you've coached me through more than you probably even know when it comes to like mm-hmm. getting my brain in the right space for what is possible in my life. And, and I want to kind of start here. Everything that you just said, there's a word that I think most people are afraid of. Selling. Okay. It, it's okay. selling. It, it's it's that sell thing, right? It's like, come on, Myron. Cool. Like, I don't know who wants to go out here and do all of this selling. But let me let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. What makes selling a good thing and why should we be changing our minds about it? Yeah, so selling is a good thing, but convincing is a bad thing. So here's the people think they don't like selling, but what they really don't like is convincing. They really don't like begging. They really don't like pressuring people. And unfortunately, most people think that that's what sales is, but that's not what sales is. Sales is persuasion. Persuasion is the opposite of convincing. It's the opposite of begging. It's the opposite of high pressure. 
selling. Okay, so I'm going to selling is persuasion, and persuasion and convincing are not only not synonyms; they're actually antonyms. They mean the opposite of each other. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, convincing is when I attempt to get you you to do something I want you to do for my reasons. That's convincing. Selling is when I help you make a decision you already desire to make for your own reasons. That's selling. It's persuasion. Now, here, like people are never wrong about what they want. Now, maybe they're wrong about what they should want, but they're never wrong about what they want. And so the, the reason people think they don't like sales is because the only sales experiences most people remember are the bad ones. They remember the time the person tried to high pressure them into buying something they didn't want, didn't need, couldn't afford. So they think that's what selling is. But the best selling sales experiences people have had they didn't, they don't, even to this day, they don't even know they happened. They were, they were seamless sales experiences. They were what I would call the art of selling without yelling or the art of selling without telling or selling without what most people think is selling, right? And what does that look like? Well, people who are really good at sales, they're so good at sales that when you buy, you think the reason you bought is because it was your idea. But I've got right here in my hand, right? I've got my iPhone, right? And my iPhone, my iPhone does not, um, it's it's uh, the big one. It's like $1,700 iPhone, right? Here's the thing. Nobody was born wanting an iPhone. So why do hundreds of millions of people have one? Well, hundreds of millions of people have one because Apple seamlessly sold you an iPhone or Android seamlessly sold you an Android or whatever the thing might happen to be. Like, you can get water out of your faucet, but people still buy bottled water. Why do they buy bottled water? Because bottled water has been sold to us. You are not born wanting to buy anything, so everything you've bought has been sold to you. The people who did a good job selling to you did such a good job that you thought you bought it because it was your idea. The people who did a bad job selling to you, they tried to pressure you in to buying something so they could get paid or for some other of their reasons, as opposed to helping you find a solution to a problem you already knew you had so you'd be willing to buy for your own reasons. That's, the, that's why people think they don't like sales. Does that make sense? Man, it, it does. And, and, and so now that we understand that it's, it's, it's a good thing. So, you know, my audience. And that's just one of the reasons it's a good thing. Who I like to say are successfully discontent. And what they need to do mm -hmm. is be able to build them a side business. Now, we had mm -hmm. the opportunity to work together to write the forthcoming book, From Side Hustle to Side mm -hmm. Business, How to Take Any Product or Service and Turn It into Story, Success, and Sales. But here's my question for you. Why should someone consider starting a side business? Given, given what's going on in the market, given all of the pressures, right? Given, hey, if I'm working my job and right now things seem kind of tight, I'm kind of going to work in survival mode, but hey, this is the only job I got. Doesn't really seem like a whole lot going on. Why would I then go, yeah, well, let me go start a side business over here. From your perspective, like, why is that a good thing? Now that we understand sales is a good thing, why would I go do that? especially for high level, high level professionals, high level managers, high level executives, because the only real freedom you will ever have is the freedom you create for yourself. Um, I heard Robert G. Allen say a long time ago, there are two doors in life. One is marked security. The other is marked freedom. If you choose the door marked security, you get neither security nor freedom. But if you, mm. you if you pick the door marked freedom, you get both. And so the only way to have freedom and security is by having something that you own. Uh, it's interesting to me that most people have no leverage in their life. What's leverage mean? Leverage means a, a minimal input creates a multiplied output. A small input creates a magnified output. And so the question then becomes, okay, 
how can I have some leverage? How can I do something that has minimal input that has maximum output, right? And Archimedes said, if you give me a lever long enough and a prop strong enough, I can single-handedly move the world. Here's the problem. Most people have no leverage. And I promise you, if you don't have any leverage, then you are somebody else's leverage. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to write fast enough, so I'm just going <laughs> to stay in this moment right now. So, you know, what, what's interesting is, is I, I've had an opportunity to learn a little bit more about your background, um, how you grew up. Uh, but there's, there's something interesting that you talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's this there's there's an intersection in your in your story that I find fascinating. It's this intersection between business and the word of God. Mm-hmm. And somehow you found this like this middle space where you're like, I can play in here and not just play in between these two, but I can show how they work together and intersect. And 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 I've seen you literally talk to people who may not necessarily believe in the in the bible who and the, and and there's people all around the world who listen to you help me understand what got you excited like what was the lynch or something that happened in your life where you were like there these two things work together and then on the back end i want you to talk about your your love for king solomon okay so a couple of things one um is like I was 16 years old when I came to Christ. I had never read a book before in my life. Not for school, not for fun, not for pleasure. If the book wasn't a karate book, which I would look through to find different karate lessons before I could like afford to go to karate class, or if it wasn't a comic book, I didn't read it, right? And so I had never read a book before. I'm 17 years old, and the, the young man that led me to Christ, he said, now you need to start reading the Bible. And honestly, I was horrified. Because I thought, I've got to start reading that big, thick book, little bitty words, no pictures, and two columns. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm about now, so I'm going to do it. And I started reading the Bible, not knowing what to expect, and thinking I was going to find religion. But I didn't find religion in the Bible. You know what I found? I found practical advice for my everyday life. And I thought, well, let's find out if this is true. So I took some of those principles and applied them to my life, and they worked as well in my life as the Bible said they would. And I found another principle, and I applied that, and it worked. I thought, oh, the Bible's not a book about religion. The Bible's literally a book about results. Like, and you can know what the results are. You can know what the output's going to be before you do the input. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's run with this. And so as I became an adult, and I had been working jobs my whole life, I discovered that there are only two classifications of jobs in the Bible, slaves and soldiers. Everybody else owned a business. Every major, almost every, almost every major Bible character was an entrepreneur. I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Now, you can see by my golf hat and my ball marker, I am an avid golfer. If I can get in three holes of golf today or 18 holes or 27 holes of golf today, I'm going to make it happen. However, if I want to teach you how to play better golf and I want to use the Bible to do it, there are a couple of things I could teach you from the Bible about how to be a better golfer, but there's not really anything in there about golf. But the Bible talks a lot about business, right? And so, and it talks a lot about finance, personal finance, and it talks a lot about money, and it talks a lot about the economies of scale, and it talks a lot about the economies of nations. And so um, I began, I stopped just listening to what preachers said about 
the Bible says about money, and I stopped just listening to what I heard in songs and what I heard in church, and I wanted to find out for myself, okay, what does the Bible say about this subject of money, and how can I apply it to my life? And when I did that, the game changed for me. So my recommendation would be, like, don't take my word for it. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Go find out for yourself. With regard to my love for King Solomon, I, I think the thing I love about King Solomon is the most is the fact that he's such an accurate representative of a modern-day Christian. And I, you say, well, what does that mean? So if you look at King David, uh, the Scripture says that Christ sits on the throne of David forever. Okay? And the word David means beloved. When Christ was baptized, the heavens opened, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So David is a type of Christ. Well, Solomon, I believe, is a type of the New Testament believer. Um, and I've never heard anybody say this before. And by the way, I'm going to say this. I could be totally wrong about that, but it sure seems like this is what he's a type of. He's a type of the New Testament believer. And it shows us what a New Testament believer's life can be like, depending on what he does in his life, depending on where we look at Solomon in his life. So you look at Solomon at the beginning of his life, who was 1,000% yielded to God, in everything that he did, and his life was blessed beyond measure, and he became the best of the best. You can forget about the rest. In the middle of his life, he became this backslidden person who used to serve God and used to please God, but he married all these heathen women. He let those heathen women turn his heart against, away from God. So in the middle of his life, he just sought pleasure. He sought to satisfy his flesh. And he learned during that time period in his life that if you live your life for life under heaven, in other words, if you live your life just for this physical, temporal satisfaction, that's all you live for, you've wasted your life. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life after discovering that he spent all that time chasing nothing after he already had everything. And then he yielded his life back to God in his old age. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes warning people, don't make the mistake I made. You know, as Ogmandino says, there are three groups of people. There are those who learn from their own experience. These are wise. There are those who learn from the experience of others. These are, these are happy. And there are those who neither learn from their own experience or the experience of others. These are fools. And Solomon's saying, learn from my experience. Don't just be wise. And please don't be a fool, but learn how to be happy and wise. Take my word for it. If you live your life, for life under heaven, you are torturing your soul and wasting your time. And then he comes down to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, um, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. How can I sum up life under heaven? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So I love King Solomon for those reasons, but also because the Bible lays out literally line upon line, precept upon precept, step by step, exactly what Solomon's business model was, made him the wisest, wealthiest king on the earth. And so I built a coaching program based on King Solomon's wisdom and the business model that he had. And I teach his business model to my clients. And that's why we have clients that are 160Xing their monthly revenue in a day in less than a year, because we're applying stuff that's been working since the beginning of time. Hmm. So you talked about principles there. Mm -hmm. And you said there's principles about money. Mm -hmm. You said there were first principles that you could remember, like even as a kid and you applied them and you were like, this actually works. Right. What's one of the earliest principles that you read that you applied and you were like, huh, that's that actually is works for anybody. There are so many. One is given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Oh, wow. So if I give 
then it's going to be given to me. Who's going to give it to me? Men are going to give it to me. So it's, it's better to give than to receive. That's what it says. It's better to give than to receive. It doesn't say it's good to receive and bad to give. It just says it's better to give than to receive, right? And so a lot of people mistakenly think that means it's good to give and it's bad to receive. Mm. That's not the case, right? So the question then becomes, how do I give and receive? Okay, so I want to be a good giver. Now, um, that's one principle that I learned early on. I have six brothers. When we were growing up, we did not always get along. But I can honestly say that as a full-grown man, I'm 61 years of age, as a full-grown man, I've only had like two and a half arguments with my adult brothers in my adult life. Now, wrap your mind around, and we're all really close in age. Like, <laughs> we're all like, my mom had my oldest brother in 1969, had my youngest brother in 1966, and all the rest of us in between, right? So my mom was basically pregnant for seven years. So we're really close in age, and we did not always get along growing up. So I found the verse in scripture that says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I thought, what if that's true? So I remember one day, my, I said, I'm going to try that. So one of my brothers came in screaming at me, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh, wow, yeah, I get that. Oh, wow, man, I'm, I, it sounds like I really messed up. I'm really sorry. Uh, what can I do to help you fix it? And, like, it totally de-escalated the situation. And after, after he left, I was like, that was so cool, right? Oh, my goodness, that worked so well. And so I just learned how to apply practically principles in the Bible that work. And then when I started... As a, when I got started as an entrepreneur, because I discovered, like most people discover, if all you have is a job, for most people, not for everybody, I mean, there are executives out there who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and some who make millions of dollars a year, this is not going to be true necessarily for those people. But for the average person out there, if all you have is a job, you're going to have more months left at the end of the money than you do money at the end of the month. And so I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to apply these principles to my business to see if my business can grow. And I can remember when I first got started in business in 1985, I met a guy his name was Bill Travis. He was making $10,000 a month in 1985 when $10,000 a month was a lot of money. And I thought, man, if I can just get to $10,000 a month, it's going to be amazing. And now if I had a day that goes by where I only make $10,000, like, where did I mess up, right? And I, I know that sounds so weird when I say that, and I'm not trying to show off or make you think I'm, like, I've just discovered principles that work. It's not that I'm so smart and I'm so, such a brilliant businessman. I am a brilliant businessman. I'm not the only brilliant businessman in the world, and I'm not the first brilliant, brilliant businessman in the world, and I'm not the most brilliant businessman in the world. I just, like, I, but I'm not going to deny that, yeah, I'm pretty brilliant, um, but so are you, right? And so it's not a competition, and it can be a collaboration. And so those are some of the principles that I discovered early. And now, like, when I decided five years ago, let me see, um, 2016, uh, six years ago, when I decided six years ago to build a business model based on the business model of King Solomon, and that business model makes us millions and millions of dollars a year, um, you know, it's kind of like, wow, this is really cool. Um, what else can we do, right? And so now we just coach other people and teach them how to do that. And so you can build like these ginormous businesses without it requiring sucking all the life out of your body. And so that's what we do. Hopefully that helps. It, man, that is, that, it, and it's impressive what, what, what you built just from the few months that I've gotten to know you. Um, and the, the room is incredible. Um, <laughs> the room is incredible. The type of people, right? Like it's, 100. It, this isn't like your average room. This is right. And, I, and yeah, I'm saying another, that meaning it's a it's room full level. of doers. Right? Like it's a room full of what? Doers. It's a room full of doers. Like right. it is it, it is impressive, but you, you know, I'm I'm going to share a quote with you. 
And I want you to okay. tell me how this particular quote, given what you just talked about with, you know, you, you started, you know, your business model and you, you've been laying it out. It's been growing. I mean, your, 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 your coaching program is going right. It's growing, you know, leaps and bounds, you know, just off these principles. And I want to share a quote with you that has resonated with me for the, at least the last year or so. And okay. I'm curious to get your take on it from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And the quote says, a man who works all day and has no time to make money. A man who works all day has no time to make money. Mm. And the reason why I think about that is because I remember my, I know how it applies to me working a day job and the things that, I, that I've done, but there are things and insights that you've realized that help that corporate professional show up differently. If they start a side business, they show up even better at their corporate job, but then they start to recognize something that I always talk about, which is you start to really understand just how much value you, you are worth more than a day job. So when you think about that quote, a man who works all day has no time to make money. To make what money. does that say to Myron Golden? Well, it, it, it tells me that a person who works all day doesn't understand the four levels of value. And so most people think that the key to making more money is working harder. But I submit to you that the key to making more money is not working harder, but the key to making more. I think work. First of all, let me say this. I think hard work is good. I think hard work makes you a better person than being lackadaisical, lazy and slothful when you work. However, hard work is not the key. It's not like just because you work hard. That's not a guarantee that you're going to make money. It is a guarantee that you're going to be more tired. Right. So so. I think the, the key to success is not working harder. The key to success is working higher. What does that mean? Mm. Well, there are four levels of value. The lowest level of value monetarily is implementation. The resource we use on that level, we use our muscles over time to make money, right? Muscles are a physical resource. Time is a limited resource. So we're multiplying a limited resource times a physical resource, and we're attempting to create wealth, which is a spiritual outcome. And so if you're attempting to use physical and limited resources to create unlimited spiritual wealth, that unlimited spiritual, that wealth that you're attempting to create has to be limited because your input is wrong, right? So the lowest level of value is implementation. The next to the lowest level of value is unification. On that level, you use your management skills to make money. You manage people. You're no longer the person who does the thing. You're the person who manages the people who do the thing. So you're going to make more money than if you did the thing yourself. Why? Because now you're getting paid off of, quote, more man hours, right? But the next level of value is where wealth begins to be created. Wealth begins to be created on the third level of value, which is communication. On that level, you use your mouth to make money. And words and language are a spiritual resource. And that's why you have people who master the art of communication are wealthier than people who just master a physical service like painting or being a dentist or whatever that thing is. Um, it doesn't matter. You're using mus muscles. If you use your mouth and use words and learn how to create uh, conversations that create cash flow and learn how to develop messages that move the masses, you can become massively wealthy to the tune of, you know, a million dollars a year to hundreds of millions of dollars a year. If you're an author, a speaker, a playwright, a songwriter, a singer, an actor, a talk show host, um, any of those things, you could become worth hundreds of mil like millions of dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars if you become any of those things. But the highest level of value is imagination. And imagination, you use your mind and your money to make money. And so 
if you master the two higher levels of value, communication, and imagination, and it's really what's really fascinating to me is even for imagination, communication is necessary because you can speak without thinking, but you can't think without using words. So if you work, if you spend the majority of your working time using the higher levels of value, communication and imagination, the amount of money that you will make has no choice but to increase. Mm. Mm. So then I understand that to be that whatever my current task-oriented way of making money is today, then that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. But that, because it's only a time, it's time, right, over my muscle, well, then I can only do that but so much. Right. The real kicker, what you're saying is, then how do I take what I, my task do and go from that to saying, I can put something out here in the marketplace to the world that is attractive. I've heard you talk about that kind of intersection sure. before. And I've even heard you say, you know, hey, you know, there's, 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 you know, it's not that, you know, you can't make more money. It's the fact that you haven't become, and you use the word findable, right? You, you're just not right. findable enough for the people that want to already you, buy what you need. What you Talk are. a little bit about that. And why is it that such a, an important message that I hear you talk about all the time, whether an entrepreneur just started yesterday to the ones that you yeah. work with that's been around for 20, 30 years making money. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, so um, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs and salespeople make is they're trying to find people to sell stuff to instead of making themselves findable for people who already want to buy what they already want to sell. And so when I create a new offer for the marketplace, instead of saying, where can I find people to sell this to? I ask myself, who are the people who are already looking for this solution? And how can I make it more easy for them to find me? So instead of me looking for them, I just realized there are either thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of people who already have a desire for the outcome that I can produce. How can I put myself in a position where it's easier for them to find me, right? And we talk about like leverage. So we talk about leverage and communication. So this is a book I wrote from the trash man to the cash man, how anyone can get rich starting from anywhere. I wrote this book in 2006, or actually 2007. We sold over 155,000 copies of this book. I wrote the book once, so it took my time to write the book once, took my time to communicate the message once, and now all we've done is communicated, made this book findable for people who want this result. And now we make thousands of dollars a month from this book that I wrote like 15 years ago, right? So that's, that's the difference between working at those different levels of value. That's good, that's good. So. Um... Last couple of things I'll, I'll ask you here because I, I know time is definitely valuable. Um, you know, you you have a a thought that I, I've always wanted to get your, your your understanding on. You talk about 
thinking, and you mentioned that earlier, right? You were like, you know, people don't, you know, always think about like the the parts that would actually mm -hmm. make them more money, right? They want to mm -hmm. use our muscle, right? And you got guns. I like how you just showed that. I appreciate that on the, on the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, bro. So, You're funny, bro. You say thinking is the hardest work most work. people most never people do. Never do. Talk more about that and what what does that mean? And I want and I want to be really like granular with this. Because when I heard that, you know what that told me? Chris, mm. that means there's money that you've left on the table because you won't think further. 100%. So talk to the person who's at work right now, <laughs> listening and watching this and not realizing I'm not actually thinking enough. And that's where the margin of money that I could be literally using to change my life right now, just because I haven't thought long enough about it. 100%. Think about this. Think about, think about the fact that there are people out there who will work hard at what's not working long and hard. They'll work hard, long and hard at what's not working. They already know it's not working because they've been doing it for 10 years and they're still broke, right? Mm. Or they're doing it for 10 years and their boss still hates their guts and they still hate their boss. They've been doing it for 10 years and they're still stressed. So people will work hard at what's not working so they can avoid thinking about what would work. Mm. Think about it, like, like they'll, they'll spend all their time at a job they hate, working for a boss that doesn't like them so they can make a little bit less money than it takes for them to survive. They'd rather do that than think about what could work. Because what could work, here's the, here's the caveat, what could work potentially could not work. And the thought of the fact that it might not work makes them feel like a failure. So, so I call it, what most people call the educational system, I call the miseducational misdirectional system. I call it government indoctrination camps, child prisons, whatever you wanna call it. But it's not designed to teach you to think. In fact, it's designed to program you to never think, to be afraid of thinking. Because if you think, it's gonna get you in trouble. Right. So instead of thinking, memorize somebody else's right answers and live your life as if that's the actual landscape. Right. But when it comes to education, the map is not the territory. Right. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out we have to figure out like, OK, what might work better? It's like it's like my friend Jerry Clark, who you just had the privilege of meeting a couple weeks ago. He said, yeah, man, I can remember being in elementary school and they said Columbus discovered America. And then he named the people who were here in Indians. And I raised my hand and I said, teacher, if. There were people already here when Columbus discovered America. How could you say he discovered America if people were already here? And he got sent to the principal's office, right? Mm. When you upset the apple cart of the people who are giving you this miseducation and, they, and, you, and you as a student make them have to think about an answer, now you're in trouble, right? So think one of the reasons people are so thinking averse is because their whole life when they thought something, if they brought it up, it'd get them in trouble. So now we've been programmed not to think instead of taught how to think. We've been told what to think, right? But we've never been taught how to think. And, and, and it's never been worse in the United States of America than it is right now. Because now we are literally telling our children that if somebody disagrees with you, that's not safe. Like, so, so now free speech is in jeopardy because somebody might disagree with you. So they're literally teaching our children and our college, college kids that, that if somebody says something that you disagree with, they're making you unsafe and they are triggering you. It's, the, it's, it's, it's like, it's so dangerous and so idiotic. No, somebody telling you the bridge is out because you don't like the word out to come after the word bridge and somebody telling you the bridge is out is offending you, them offending you is not the problem. 
The problem is the bridge is out. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating that truth never has to silence error in order for it to exist. Mm. Error has to silence truth in order for it to exist because otherwise truth will expose error. Error does no, not have wait, the ability stop. to expo out, expose I'm truth. I'm going to do that to you again. You have to stop because you, you you're, making it, you're making it worse. Say that again. Truth as to what? I, I said truth does not need to silence error in order to exist. Error has to silence truth in order for error to exist. Because if truth still exists when error comes along, truth is going to expose error. Error does not have the ability to expose truth because it's all, it is, it is what, it, what it purports itself to be. Error is something that's a lie that's purporting to be truth. It's something that's darkness that's pretending to be light. It's something that's evil that's pretending to be good. It's something that's harmful that's pretending to be helpful. And as long as in order for it to exist, the light, the truth that could expose it has to be out of the environment. And that's why we have a government and a miseducational misdirectional system that is hell bent on silencing opposing voices. But see, here's for those of us who are truly enlightened, here's what we'd rather have. We would rather have questions we can't answer than answers we can't question. Mm. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> okay. All right. So and you bring up a good point because you know, I, I have I have I have gotten an opportunity to see you on 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 some amazing stages and one of the things that I'm I'm, I'm almost um, I'm curious about I, I mentioned this in the beginning in your intro like when I heard you talk the first time yes you talk with a a, 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 a level of surety but it's 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 rooted in something it's not like this it's not like just you know just clang clanging symbols right like it's really rooted and not just your belief, but your understanding and that understanding, which leads to experience, which that experience has led to results. Right. Right. 100%. But I want to, I want to help the person who's listening to this right now who might be struggling because for some people, yeah, Myron, I hear you. And you know what, Myron, I agree with you, but sometimes it's hard for me to be willing to take that first step to to act on what I know is true, right? Sure. Whether that's my personal life or whether that's in business, sure. right? Like I know what's true, but sometimes right. I struggle with doing the right thing because of the peer pressure, because of the lie is louder than the truth. What do you say to the entrepreneur right now who might be struggling with knowing what is right to do, but in that space where it's like, but man, if I do the right thing right now, it might, it might interrupt you know, yeah, what I it, do for my business. Yeah. So any, anything that's hard to do now that's also necessary, the longer we neglect doing it, the harder it becomes. It's only going to become easier when we deal with it. Like tyranny has to be cut off at the head as an infant. It cannot be cut off at the head as an adult. Like you have to destroy tyranny as soon as it rears its ugly head, right? Tyranny is like a rattlesnake, a rattlesnake den in the nursery with your in, with your baby, like it's they cannot peacefully coexist. People, people say, so, do you realize that 
people are afraid of the truth that will confront their preferred behavior because they don't desire to change. I think about I think about how like the inhibition of free speech and censorship, the way it's being used now, it's always been like hit, censorship is one of the things Hitler used that gave him the ability to perpetrate atrocities on the Jews. Right? Anybody who spoke out against Hitler and what he was doing, they would have to pay the consequences, right? And so the longer that was the case, the more the tyranny reigned. In the United States of America, it's so fascinating. Like, there are all these arguments about discrimination, right? Discrimination, discrimination, discrimination. And, but in the United States of America, uh, chattel slavery, which is, which is the darkest stain on the fabric of America's garments, the darkest stain on the fabric of America's garments is chattel slavery. And the atrocities that America perpetrated on the people of African descent is just as atrocious, if not more atrocious, than the atrocities that Hitler perpetrated on the Jews. Like, I love America. I love living here. Uh, it's great. It's, I like, if you can't make it here, please don't go anywhere else. But America is not its slogans, okay? We all, let's, let's keep it real. Uh, like, just because it says it's one thing, that it's not everything it purports itself to be. But it is better than any place else I've ever been. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And, and that's not coming from a guy who's never been negatively affected by discrimination. Like, I was born in a segregated hospital, contracted polio as an infant, have been walking with a brace my whole, leg, my whole life because of segregation and discrimination. So it's real. However, however, um, the, the thing that gave chattel slavery and Jim Crow law such a stronghold, such a strong death grip on the United States of America is the fact slavery existed for hundreds of years because the people who benefited from it silenced the voices that speak out against it. Hmm. And so now political correctness is doing the exact same thing with a lot of its evil agendas. And so we're making it against the law to speak out against things that some people have a desire to do. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, if you, like, they're, they're saying anybody, anytime you disagree with anybody about anything, then that disagreement is hate speech. And then they talk about hate crimes. Well, every crime's a hate crime, right? What is what, hate crime? Nobody steals your car because they love you. They don't rob banks because they love the people at the bank. Nobody commits murder because they love Thanks. the person. All crimes are hate crimes. What is, like, that's, a, that's like a, that's such a brainless terminology, right? And, and, we, and we act as if, that just because you disagree with somebody that you hate them. And we act as if, we act as if um, a person having an opposing view is dangerous. No, what's dangerous is me not hearing the opposing view so I can evaluate whether it will save my life or not. Mm. That's what's dangerous. Like, I, I, believe that, I believe, for instance, that, that um, racism is stupid. Like, it's dumb as a box of rocks, right? And what I mean by racism is stupid, I don't, racism, white people against black people, Spanish people against Asian people, Asian people against black, whatever, whatever, white people, black people, all racism is stupid because there's only one race, the human race. So racism is idiocy at its highest level. But you know how much time I spend arguing against racism? None. Right. You know why I don't spend, none. Why don't I spend any? For the same reason if I walked outside my office door and I saw some person 
screaming at the top of the lung. The sky is green and the grass is blue. Listen to me, people. The sky is green and the grass is blue. Listen to me. Why won't anybody listen to me? The sky is green and the grass is blue. It's so dangerous to believe that the sky is blue and the grass is green. How much time am I going to spend arguing with that person? None. Why? Because Mark Twain said it best. Never argue with an idiot. They will bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. So... So why would I spend any time arguing with a person who believes that they are better than somebody else because of the color of their skin? That is an argument I am totally unwilling to have. Why? Because when, as soon as I argue with it, I am giving it merit. It deserves no merit. Man, all right. So we're gonna make a we're gonna make a hard left. <laughs> make a hard left, brother. Make a hard left. Don't throw me out the car. Uh, we know we're not gonna throw out the car. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> so you know you you've done. You are where you are now, but I know there's a vision about the future and there's people who go, yeah, I want to do this by the end of the year. I want to, I want to make this right. Like some people have their goals, right? And it's like, I got this goal, this goal, this goal. Why do you think it's so hard for people to make the investment necessary to obtain what they ultimately want? Um, well, <laughs> There's so many answers to that question. So one of the answers is the reason people think it's hard to make the investment to create the result they desire is because a lot of people have been told that life owes you something because you're here. And so why should I have to make an investment? Why don't they, why didn't life just give it to me? Mm. Why don't, why didn't the government give it to me? Why don't the rich people just take all the money they have and just disseminate it evenly amongst all the poor people? Like, like, why don't they, why don't they fix this problem? And the reason, so believing that, Believing that is not only erroneous, it's also dangerous, right? Because if you're waiting for somebody else to come along and fix your problem, your problem is never going to get fixed because they ain't going to show up. They don't care that much, right? And so what I have to do is I have to figure out, I have to realize that the farmer, the seed says to the farmer, the farmer says, well, I need some, I need a harvest. I need a harvest. I need a harvest. I need a harvest. The, the, the soil says to the farmer, don't bring me your need, bring me your seed. Mm. every thought is a seed every word is a seed every deed is a seed that i am sowing into the garden of my future i am reaping today from yesterday's seed sown i will reap tomorrow from today's seed sown so my most important objective is to make sure that i sow the right seed today so i can reap the right harvest tomorrow well listen ladies and gentlemen this man's time is precious and he has given us uh a, a great portion of it. So I want to say, Myron, first of all, um, I am so glad that you pushed past all of the difficulties of life, all of the things that you have uh, had to push through up until this moment, because um, you are a, a, a voice that is going to definitely push past generations um, mm. for what you just, what you're willing to do. Right. Like I, like mm. what you do is not easy. Um, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of thought. It, right? It's, it's um, definitely the lesser of two of two easies. Right. So uh, I, I like what Jim Rohn said. He said he said the reason I did what I did is because it was easy. Let me define easy. It was something I could do. Right. And so I took. The, but he said the, the caveat with easy to do is this. What's easy to do is also easy not to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just took the lesser of two easies. I did what was easy to do instead of doing, not doing what was easy not to do. 100%, 100%. And, and I love what you, what you said there because 
you know, uh, we often talk here on the show about success as a thinking man and woman's game. Come on now. You have to be willing to think your way uh, to success, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and, and I appreciate the fact that you've put all of this investment, you sown the scene uh, seeds into your world of thinking, not only for yourself, not only for your family, but how to help others. And so I definitely appreciate that. So here on Massive Action Monday, I want to say thank you, Myron Golden, for being a leader. Thank you for being my coach. And thank you for just being a a, a man of God who actually is living the word uh, on a daily day, day basis and having fun with it. Like you, you, you are a man who literally has fun every day he wakes up. Uh, and, and ensures that yeah. it's a part of your job. So I'm just thankful uh, for you to doing that. Anything else you'd like to be able to share lastly, uh, as we wrap up, um, and, and letting people know about sure. you know, some of the things that, that you actually do and how they can find you. Sure. So first of all, thank you for the opportunity to share with your audience. Um, I would recommend highly that people click the link in your description for this, for my challenge the make more offers challenge. So if you don't have that link in there, Chris, go ahead and put the link for my challenge in there. And um, if you want to follow me on um, YouTube, just like YouTube, search my name and you'll find me And there. I've got tons of videos out there for you to go learn and enjoy from. Um, and if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Myron Golden. There are no dots, there are no dashes, there are no numbers, there are no underscores, just M-Y-R-O-N-G-O-L-D-E-N. And I look forward to seeing you at a live event or at a virtual event or somewhere around the world. Um, and hopefully I'll be blessed by your presence. So thanks, Chris, for the opportunity. And I look forward to connecting with you the next time we have the opportunity to connect. Absolutely. You all, listen, you have got an opportunity to hear from my personal business coach. That is the last time you will hear it for free in that manner. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say thank you all for listening here. Hey, listen, I want you to go use the hashtag Massive Action Monday. Share this out. What did you learn? Matter of fact, here's the key. This is the challenge. I told you every single Monday I'm going to give you a challenge. You just heard from one of the top tier entrepreneur coaches that people ask for by name, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sit down and think today. Take Mm. the time to think. Figure out what it is that you do today and how can you put that out into the marketplace, okay? I want you to start thinking about what are the things that I bring to work every day? What is maybe something that he said today that was helpful to you? I want you to share those things in the comments. What are you gonna do? And then we're gonna come back here next Monday and we're gonna build on top of this. It's Massive Action Monday, man, right here on the World According to Chris podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. You all have a great, incredible day. And guess what? We will see you again in the next episode. Have a great day, everybody.